2: When Jesus hung on that cross, he cried out among his very last words, it is finished, to show that everything that would need to be done for us to know his love and to love like him had already been accomplished. And I would say when we begin to love like Jesus, there will be others around us that don't like the look of it. And so Jesus then responds, unless I wash you, you will not belong to me. And then Simon Peter, always impetuous, he, he says, then wash my hands and my head well, as well, Lord, not just my feet. In other words, give me a bath to you. I mean, if i got to be washed to know you, wash everything. Once bathed, always bathe. That's what I need, uh, Jesus. And Jesus replied, no, son, you, you don't get it. A person who's bathed all over d- does not need to wash, except for the feet to be entirely clean or, And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Because that's what I am. And since I'm your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. And then here's this phrase do as I have done to you. Why would Jesus say that? Because love does, love serves, love gives. As Jesus would eventually do love sacrifices. When the love of God is in us. It is active and evident through us. Oswald Chambers died a young man. His wife. Recorded in print. The many devotions and sermons that he had given in his life. And so we have those to read. Some of you like me. Read my utmost for his highest almost every morning. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says. Service is the overflow which pours from a life filled with love and devotion. But strictly speaking, there is no call to that. Service is what I bring to the relationship. It's the reflection of my identification with the nature of God. Service becomes a natural part of my life. God brings me into proper relationship with himself so that I can understand his call. And then I serve him out of my motivation of absolute love. Service to God is the deliberate love gift of a nature that has heard the call of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. What is your deliberate love gift? How how do the people in your little corner of the world know that you love? When I began to prepare this series on the words of Jesus, there were so many different directions I could go. And in fact, until just a few weeks ago, I had begun to work on some of those controversial words of Jesus that we couldn't understand. And then it hit me, no, I I think maybe we need to go back to the basics. Because no matter how long you've been in church, it's, it's still applicable. The truth you know is not what's most important. It's not the truth you know, it's the truth you apply that makes a difference. And we're not applying this principle of God's love very well. If we were, the church would not be seen around the world as divided, as always pointing a finger, as always standing in judgment. We're not seen as loving. We need to do something. I really like the music of Matthew West, and he has a song called Do Something. Listen to some of the words. If not us, then who? If not me and you right now, it's time for us to do something. We're the salt of the earth. We are a city on a hill. We're never going to change the world by standing still. We need to do something. Those people that know me, they know there's a phrase that I really like. It's kind of funny. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen, and some people wonder, what happened? I want to be that person out there for God's glory, not for my name, but for His glory that's making something happen. I want to be known as someone who's doing something for the love of God. Gary Chapman wrote a great resource that if you haven't ever read or studied, you need to. It's called Love Languages. But he also wrote a book called Love as a Way of Life. And he gives seven keys to transforming your life with love. Just practical way that love does. Listen to these keys. First of all, he talks about kindness. Jesus modeled kindness. But then Paul told us, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. One way we do something is by being kind you've heard me say it once you may have heard me say it hundreds of times a christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind second he talks about patience patience is allowing someone to be imperfect you know people that are imperfect Sure you do. Look in the mirror. (laughs) We're all imperfect. We've all fallen short of God's design. And when we're impatient, what we do is we get tired of people's imperfections. Patience is simply allowing people to be imperfect. His third thing is forgiveness. Man, as I think about all the problems that Christians battle, as I've watched this for over 50 years, I think it's not alcohol, it's not drugs, it's not promiscuity. I think the biggest thing that ties up Christ's followers is unforgiveness. Remember that verse about kindness, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, it said. Why? Because Christ forgave you. At the heart of doing something in a loving way is learning to forgive Maybe you need to hear that other quote I often say. Bitterness is that poison that we drink while we wait for someone else to die. And and some of you are so bound by unforgiveness, you've allowed bitterness and resentment to eat you up. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, all you can think about is how you've been hurt, how you've been the victim, how you wish the other person got justice. And the reality is often they've gone on with their life. They're not thinking about you, but it's eating you up. That's what unforgiveness does. His fourth thing is courtesy. Courtesy is when you treat everyone as a friend. What if you begin to treat everybody as if you had known them all, all your life? You should because they may not be your friend, but they do bear the image of God, right? Everybody you see was created in the image of God. They have the Imago day in their lives. And then humility. Jesus modeled that humility. Someone said, humility is stepping down so someone else can step up. Moving yourself out of the way so that you can be a servant to others. And then generosity. Generosity. Some of you are thinking, I can't be generous. I'm not wealthy. But the reality is, you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. You just have to be generous. And what you may not have understood is the more you give, the more wealth you have because you can never outgive God. Man, God illustrates this principle in my life again and again and again generosity. And then honesty. Man, this is another area I feel like in the church we really struggle. We're not authentic. We're not real. We put on our mask and we we play our games. So just in case you're visiting today, you're not really familiar with who we are. Let me just tell you this this is a church filled with imperfect people. This is a hospital for sinners. It's not a hotel for saints. In fact, if you're perfect, whatever you 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 do, don't come and hang out here because we're just a bunch of imperfect people that have been changed by God's grace. I want you to look at that list and ask this question. Are you, are you living your life so that people see love in you? Are you, are you loving people by doing these things? I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, you don't know how I was hurt. You you don't know the people around me. You don't know my family. You don't know those people I work with, the the friends I have. Well, what about those that are unlovable? How do I love those who are unlovable? Well, Jesus kind of illustrates that too, doesn't he? So this passage doesn't just teach us that love does, it teaches us that love knows. Remember when I talked about what Jesus knew and I said it meant that he comprehended, he understood? It says that several times throughout this chapter. Jesus knew what time it was. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew where he was going, even though the others didn't. Let's continue and let me illustrate it to you. He says in verse 18, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I I know the ones I've chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says the one who eats my food has turned against me. I I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the father who sent me. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed this truth. will betray me. This next verse is intriguing to me. It says, the disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter motioned to him and said, who's he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? I like to think in that moment, every disciple there was saying, is it I? Could it be me? After all this time, could I drop the ball that bad? Could I fail that clearly? And really, there's an element of that heart we need to have, right? Where we all say, but by the grace of God, there go I. Do you know that given the right situation, given the right circumstance, there's not anything that your sinful heart's not capable of? Don't you dare say, well, bless God, I could never do that. I could never be like that person. My marriage could never fall apart. I could never sin in that way. I could never have that addiction. But by the grace of God, we're all capable of anything. And so Jesus responded and said, it's the one To whom I give the bread, I dipped into the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then when Judas had eaten the bread, listen to this, this is kind of funny. Even after Jesus said that, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him and Jesus told him, hurry up and do what you're going to do. None of the other disciples knew what he meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some of them thought Jesus was telling them to go and pay the bill, pay for the food or give some money to the poor. Isn't it interesting you can hear straight from the word of God and not get it? Why? Because you have to be willing to receive it. And this passage tells us something about that too. What do we call it when a little child particularly becomes a Christian? We say they've asked Jesus to do what? To come into their heart. What did this passage say about Judas? Satan entered him. I want to teach you something. Did you know every one of us are born with a hole in our heart? Now, some of you, that may be literal. Like our son Noah. Our son Noah, he didn't find this out until a year or two ago. He went to a doctor, and a doctor said, Do you know you have a hole in the heart? And he's like, No, well, I've got a hole in my heart. And, and he came home and asked us, and mom said well yeah we knew that now he did kind of have a scare at the beginning and he, he we were taking pictures and i was standing over him uh, kimberly had done the heavy lifting of course and she had delivered him and i was there in the hospital room and all of a sudden he started turning blue and the doctors and the nurses started panicking and so we've got like baby smurf pictures but that didn't really have anything to do with the hole in the heart but but that's something to think about the, the reality is every one of us were born with a hole in the heart It's a God-shaped hole. That's God's desire. He, He wants to enter into your life and meet your needs. He wants to fill that hole that you're born with. But if you do not receive him, if you do not allow him to fill that hole, there's an enemy who would like to fill the hole. He would like to enter into. And some of you are just, you're on the line. You're going back and forth. I don't know. Some days I want God to fill the hole. Some days I want Satan to enter in. I'm I'm doing his business one day and his business another day. And, And the reality is you've got to decide who you're going to receive. What a story Jesus tells. He knows all about what's going on. And yet he's still loved even though he knew the worst. Do you do that? I read this morning from Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Maybe you've heard it this way from Peter. Love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus loved even when he knew the worst who's god calling you to love today christ follower you you say you've been marked by him who is god calling you to love that doesn't deserve it that hasn't loved you well but needs to be loved because by the way this wasn't just judas we're not just picking on judas Look at how this chapter ends. Jesus had just said, a new commandment I give to you. Hey, see this love in a fresh way. He's just said that. And they're all thinking, yeah, and Judas is going to betray you. But look at verse 36. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't come with me now. You'll follow me later. And Peter again, man, he's just stepping out there, putting his foot in his mouth. He says, why can't I come with you now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, and I'm thinking he probably laughed. (laughs) Ready to die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. It wasn't just Judas, it was Peter. It's not just that prostitute out in Nebraska, it's not that drug addict that's homeless on the street. It's not your friend or your family member that's cheated on their spouse and their marriage is broken. No, it's you and me that are being disobedient to God when we don't love as he's called us to love because love does even when love knows. Love does in spite of what love knows because love overcomes, right? Right? We quote that verse, Romans 8, 28. It says, for we know God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But right after that, it goes on to say, so what should separate us from the love of God? And it gives us this long list. Can life or death? No. Can persecution or the sword? No. Can angels or demons? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Because we are overcomers church God calls us to love differently than the world because of what he's done for us I saw a story this week heard the testimony of one man's life it illustrates this truth I want you to hear it too watch this Growing up in this
3: neighborhood was just a wonderful a wonderful childhood. It really was until (laughs) that day. It was a Friday, the last school day of the week. And when I got off the bus, here was this gentleman coming at me from the opposite direction. And he stopped me. And he said, Hey, I'm throwing a party for your dad. And By any chance, would you be willing to help me with some of the decorations? Of course, back in the 70s, a different time than than right now, I thought, sure. He uh, had an RV, a little motorhome. I put my things down in the seat behind the door, hopped in the passenger seat, and figured we must be going downtown. But once we had left town, once we were out in the middle of nowhere, he pulled over on the side of the road and told me, he said, I think I've missed a turn. The next thing I knew, he pulled me away from the window into the middle of the the RV, uh, forced me basically onto my back, looking up at him, and began to stab me in the chest. He literally stood back up and, and said son I'm going to take you somewhere and I'm going to drop you off we turned left onto this uh, old caliche country road what we affectionately call alligator alley he stopped the RV and he pointed at the tree said why don't you sit down over there by the tree and while I was looking down he must have pulled the gun that I had seen the outlines of in his pocket and he aimed it right at my left temple. That was the last thing I remember. Do you know your full name?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: What is your full name?
2: Christopher Hugh Carrier.
3: And Chris, do you know what day this is?
2: This is Friday. Is it what?
3: Today is Thursday, uh-huh. December the 26th. When I woke up six days later, I remember my dad flat out told me, he said, Chris, you were kidnapped, you were shot through the head, and you were left to die in the Florida Everglades, and you were missing for six days. The rhythm at home was drastically different. You know, dad had a gun in his closet, police were there, the radios were there. But there were those moments in which I would wake up in sheer terror, thinking that I was in my bedroom, you know, could just picture that man walking through the house and cornering me in that room and coming to finish what he had started. It was a very tough moment to see this new normal that I was going to have to contend with. I don't know exactly what the trigger was, but that transformation began to happen in me in which I realized... If God in his providence can allow me to go through all of those things that I went through and protected me from being kidnapped, stabbed, shot, left to die in the Everglades, well, he's he's earned my trust. This is where you're going to
1: find that security that you're looking for.